Thank you guys so much for tuning in. This is episode 24 of Coaching Connections. On today's episode, we have Coach David Norris out of Dripping Springs and Coach Christina Phillips out of Marshall High School. Two friends of mine, outstanding coaches, great people. Um, Coach Norris has been in the business over 30 years, coached at the college level, coached on the boys' side, coached on the girls' side, just been a, a real staple in the coaching community here in Texas. And he also was a mentor to Coach Phillips when she got her first head coaching job at San Marcos uh, before moving over to Marshall High School. And so great insight on the mentor-pupil relationship, um, what it means to be a head coach, uh, their journeys, and, and so much more positive information. I hope you enjoyed this episode just as much as I did. Episode 24, Coaching Connections. Phillips, Norris, let's get after it. What's up, man? Coach, how we doing? Good, good. How about you? I'm good. Do you can hear me loud, loud and clear? Yeah, yeah. Sounds good. Good deal. What you been up to? Trying to stay <laughs> healthy, right? <laughs> Just <laughs> I hear you. I hear you. Stay home as much as possible and uh, stay healthy, you know. Yeah, yeah without, same here. Without trying to live a, a life of fear, right? Still, still try to do some things, but got to be yeah. smart. Got to be smart. Yeah, I hear you. You know, I have a heart condition, so... I have to really kind of play it safe and That's you know, right. make sure I'm not just, you know, at the same time, I'm not trying to just be a hermit, but, mm -hmm. you know, I got to be careful with things, places I go and people I'm around. So. That, was, that was last year? You had, you had surgery last year? Uh, no, I had a, you know, in January, I had a little issue where I had to uh, replace a stent that I had put in. Mm. But 10 years ago, I had a heart attack. So. Gotcha. Gotcha. But uh, just, man, out of the blue, I had a little mini stroke in January. So I had to uh, go in and get it. You know, it was just because my stent was clogged. It gotcha. had been in 10 years. So, but uh, now I feel good. I'm actually going through some cardiac rehab right now. So they're working my tail off and everything's looking good so far. Good. The, uh, that makes me a little nervous, you know, like heart conditions and stuff. They usually say it's hereditary or whatnot. Uh, yeah, my, dad, yeah. my dad has a, he's got a heart issue. Um, he has a missing tricuspid valve when he was born with a, without a valve, no flap. Oh, wow. And uh, so when he was in his early twenties, he had a situation and they told him, look, uh, you're fine now. Your body's kind of adjusted to it. Um, mm -hmm. Sometimes he'll get regurgitation back in the valve because it doesn't, right. doesn't close. But um, 20, 30 years from now, you're probably going to need some, some kind of surgery. Yeah. And and almost on the dot, 30 years later, um, he had to have open heart surgery last year, and they had to go in there and fix him up. And uh, so yeah, they had to cut him open. So he was yeah. he was sore and he was hurting, and uh, yeah, yeah. and uh, you know he did his rehab and whatnot. Yeah. So, uh, so yeah, I'm glad it's all right. He made you know came through it all right. It's, I appreciate uh, it. Um, and I just recommend, like, for you getting checked, you know, at some point, yeah. if you haven't already, just to kind of ease your own mind, you know, because I've talked to my kids about, you know, my older kids that I have about, you know, if they start feeling anything or just, you know, just go in and get checked because it may, my condition could be hereditary. Yeah. Um, my mom and she passed away with uh, heart issues. And then I had a grandfather that did as well. but. Mm -hmm. Um, my condition is just, you know, it could be, uh, but so I, I talked to them about getting checked out and stuff. So we'll see. Smart, smart thing to do. And peace of mind, you can't put a price yeah, on it. Yeah. yeah. And my, my, my family's in the same boat. So my, my, my dad's father passed away from a heart condition and then you know, my father has a heart condition, you know, so you gotta just be careful, be smart. And yeah, there's, there's yeah. five of us kids, you know, and no telling. Yeah, yeah, there's eight of us. <laughs> my family's a big family, so yeah. we're all rocking and rolling, still healthy, so it's all good. Good deal. Knock on wood. Christina, she she hit me up like, uh, what do I wear? What do people usually wear? I was like, wear whatever you want to wear. <laughs> yeah, she had, she had uh, hit me up saying, hey, what are you wearing? Are you wearing a drip shirt? I said, no, nah, I just got a maroon shirt on. It's not a drip shirt. She's like, okay. Yeah. She's probably changed about 10 times. <laughs> <laughs> hey, you know, my recruiter was trying to get me to go back to San Diego. You know, if, if things wouldn't have, you know, 
set up. But then in I August, like, right? They're going like in August or something. Well, it was. Remember when we went in May? Yep. To San Diego, that deal. Mm-hmm. He was trying to get me to go to that then, and I was like, "No, nah, I can't." You know, go back to back years. But, I, uh, if next May, if they if they're doing it again, I am so down to go again. Yeah, yeah. I, I was telling myself, you know, I'll probably go. I'm I'm down to go. I just said, yeah, maybe next year. Let's do it every other year or something like that. Oh, Christina's calling. calling both on audio. You getting the same call? And go ahead and answer. Nothing. I don't know. It's I can I I I hear on this end. Oh wait, you know what? Let me put my headphones on so I can hear you. Okay. So you're having a hard time logging in. So the 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 information are you, is is not letting you log in. Can you text me the the meeting ID again? Yeah. Or not text me. Just, uh, you can just tell me what it is. I'll type it in again. Yeah. Let me let me look it up. It is. Okay. Here we go. Good. I don't know why I was doing that. Yeah. You ready for the password? Yeah. I already got it. Oh, I'll bet. There we go. Okay. All right. We'll see you. All right. What's up? What's up, Coach? You know, Christina, usually uh, when we have technical issues, it's with the uh, retired guys that aren't good with the technology. (laughs) (laughs) It's I've been like, because I'm actually doing summer school. And so some of the Zoom things that I've been doing with my business and then um, then with the summer school stuff, it's been acting crazy. Yep. So I just use my own tablet. Well, but this is cool. I'm glad you made it. No, I'm glad you guys found some time to, to hang out and talk. I haven't seen you all in a while. Yeah. Right. Yeah. <laughs> Appreciate the invite. <laughs> no problem. No problem. Well, I mean, if if you've never seen an episode, basically, uh, you know, the whole point of it is just to kind of shine a positive light on, on our profession and what we do. And, and I think coaches – have this uh, ability to make positive impacts in people's lives and, and make those connections. And, and as you know, especially you, uh, Coach Norris, you know, that, that those bonds last a lifetime where your kids come back and they reach out and they still ask for advice, even into, into raising a family and, and, and job, yeah. uh, jobs and so forth. And so it's a special thing. And I, I don't think people out in the, in the general public always kind of grasp that concept. So yeah just trying to shine a light on that and uh and at first i just did it did a couple just for fun but it's kind of turned into a little thing so yeah it's good i've, I've checked out a couple of them it's been good and keep rocking. i see you with the new mic too yeah it, <laughs> it sounds it sounds a lot better i, I tested it <laughs> out yesterday <laughs> so but y'all can no. hear me good with the mic right yeah yeah mm-hmm. uh, make sure i'm using it right <laughs> <laughs> anyway so so thank you guys for 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 uh for taking the time again you know so so we got summer it's already flying by you know i know for us in our district we're starting a little earlier than normal so teachers go back in a few weeks and um so it's it's already almost over and uh, so what have you guys been doing since the whole lockdown started and and uh you know how has your life changed in terms of this whole covid situation and and what are you doing to stay busy stay active and stay sane um, well, I'll start it off. Um, uh, I know it's crazy because like since March 5th, we haven't been at school for, for Northside. So after school was over with, um, I still try to reach out to my girls. Um, I'll send them texts. We actually are going to start our virtual workouts, uh, pretty soon from July 13th to August 13th. But personally, it's just been a lot of time. Like I've never had a summer before like this is it's kind of awkward so I've, I've taken a lot of things like um for me like i've been reading more um working out more because that covid those months during school just kind of at a computer i don't know about y'all um but yeah. online school it, it's good i'm sure for some but i, I miss walking around and, and and being with my kids but a lot of it a lot of this covid time has just been time with you know, for myself, my family, um, and uh, catching up on things that I didn't have time to do, to do during the season. Uh, but yeah, that's about it. Yeah. 
Well, I've basically, uh, my yard looks great outside. <laughs> it's been a lot of time doing some yard work, but since March, you know, when it first started, we were, you know, my, the class that I teach, I do a uh, graduation alternative program. So it's online anyway. So my kids that are in, in the GAP program uh, didn't miss a beat. They just continued working from home. Um, and I believe next year we'll continue that mode of being able to where they work remotely at home. So I did that, you know, just, you know, grading things, you know, online with them. But as far as the team, we uh, had some meetings where we uh, just, you know, watch game film, uh, talked about things, talk about what's going on out there, you know, especially had the, the rioting and things like that going on. So, you know, with, with uh, Dripping Springs, you know, it's not a real diverse uh, population, but the, the kids there were still curious about what's going on. So I gave them my perspective and just, you know, general perspective about things. Um, and then we talked basketball. We did a lot with basketball, uh, breaking down film. Uh, I'm a film junkie. So all summer long I watch film and I take our losses. I look at our losses uh, three or four times. You know, we didn't have a lot this past year, but the one, you know, we lost our last game, which was a playoff game. So we spent a lot of time looking at that, uh, the things we could do better. Uh, we did assignments, you know, with our class. They had to uh, do si assignments online, uh, make, making sure, you know, they're keeping up the mental part of the game and, so then we got into the summer and we started doing our strength and conditioning camp. You know, we weren't shut down until this past week. You know, we've taken this week off, but we've been rocking and rolling and making sure we're doing the social distancing and, you know, sanitizing and things like that. The individual skill training, uh, we've been doing that as well. I think that's cool too, that you're like, you talk to your girls about um, the stuff that's been going on, uh, like, especially, uh, with the riots and all that. Um, I know with my girls, we had, I had guest speakers just cause I want the girls to see just like yourself. I want them to see film. I want them to still grow the game. But, and for my girls, I wanted them to see other women who played basketball and use basketball as a tool. So we had a former UT player, I'm a West Texas A&M player, even some former Northside girls who, had experienced their first year as freshman basketball players um, where when they were playing in high school, they were playing the entire game. Um, once they got to college, they were sitting on the bench. And so I'm glad that I was able to have the girls hear those um, conversations with those young women who also, but yeah, that was my summer. That's a great way to utilize the time that you have. There's not a whole lot we can do, but um, you know, utilize the technology and, you know, Maybe some there's a lot of times it's hard to schedule when to get people to our gyms to talk face to face with our kids, but but when you got a Zoom conference or something like that, you know they can just hop on their phone if if they're able to and just and and give their perspective. And so I, that's a really great perspective, I think, uh, Coach. Uh, the change between college and high school from being the stud to having to, to earn your stripes again all over at a, at another level where everybody can play. And so a lot of times I think younger kids, they don't, they don't realize that and it doesn't always click. So that's great stuff. You know, I was going to ask this a little later, but, but uh, you know, you, you were talking about Coach Norris giving your perspective on the rioting and a lot of the things going on in our country in terms of, of race in America. But just from y'all's perspective, what is something that our, our, our country could learn from the locker room of, a, of an athletic program, right? Because a lot of locker rooms are diverse and they build these family cultures regardless of, background so what is your perspective on that you want to go first christine <laughs> okay <laughs> um i guess <clears throat> i like to take a being a military kid and being around everyone um i bring that to my teams and everywhere everywhere i go and so <clears throat> in the locker room i guess it's just you know, we're, we're different pieces and we come together and we have one common goal. Um, and I like being able to share my experiences uh, being a woman of color uh, because out of the three schools that I've taught at, um, one being clean, my second one where I met Coach Norris at San Marcos and then now here um, at Marshall, it's, it's, it's neat seeing just the different dynamics, um, the different backgrounds where, you know, I'm at Colleen Fort Hood where I've got 
everyone, um, you know, just because of the military. And then when I get to San Marcos, it's um, makeup. And then coming here to, to Marshall as well, it's different. And so I, I like being able to share those different cultures and backgrounds and then answer questions because you got to have sometimes those uncomfortable conversations. Um, and it's got to, you have to have a safe place to, to do that. And so just like in the locker room, um, you want you want your girls, your girls or your athletes um, to feel safe to come to the coach, the coaches, uh, to ask about anything, whether it be something that's going on in the world or something that's going on in the locker room, like maybe there's some drama um, or just questions about the game, whatever the case may be, you've got to have that open, safe place where they can go. Yeah, I agree. Um, you know, I'm, I'm a little bit older than you guys. <laughs> so, you know, I can remember back in 68 when uh, Martin Luther King was assassinated. I was like six years old. And I can remember, you know, I was living in Kansas City, Missouri, all the rioting that took place then, uh, the social unrest. And, you know, throughout, you know, the years up, up to this point, you know, there's been riots here and there. So I kind of use my experience with what the nation has gone through as a society, you know, talking with the kids. I personally, you know, it, it's, it's a weird stance because my mother was one of the first, if not, not the first, uh, African-American female police officers in the state of Texas. So I've done ride-alongs with her, uh, with other officers, you know, and so you see both perspectives. And then at the same time, being an African-American male, a black male, I've been pulled over and asked, what are you doing in this neighborhood? <laughs> and it's like, if you look at my license, you'll know I'm here. So, you know, I share those stories with, with my players and my students. Uh, just what I've personally gone through, but in, the other perspective of what a police officer, you know, my mother has to go through uh, having to deal with, uh, you know, being an African-American female in a predominantly white, uh, all white, uh, or not a very diverse police department. But she rose from dispatcher all the way to chief of police in a matter of 20 years. So, you know, she, she policed with respect. And that's kind of how I've coached, you know, with respect. And so just being in both worlds, but then understanding that the color of my skin, I, I know I'm getting treated differently. She's had to reprimand some of her officers for treating, you know, uh, people of color differently because she recognized it right off the bat. So, you know, just sharing those things. My players know I'm real with them, you know, even though like my team, you know, is predominantly white, you know, but there's no, you know, I, I know that those girls can come to me and talk to me about anything uh, they have, you know. Um, we have an open door policy to where whatever's on your mind, you come talk to me. Uh, the parents, I do a, you know, a, a coaches meeting every day, and, you know, we talk about things that are concerning them that, you know, you always say you can't talk about this, this, and that. But I tell them, but if it's going to keep you from, you know, talking with, with Facebook or social media or in the stands, come sit in my office and talk to me, you know, even if it's one of those things that I say you can't talk about and we can agree to disagree. But, you know, throughout my 30 something years of coaching, you know, I've been an assistant principal. I've been a college coach. Um, I've had students. I just got a letter from a young lady two weeks ago that I, that I was a administrator, but uh, she graduated 15 years ago. And she wrote me a letter uh, thanking me. She's saying, uh, you know, I don't know if I've ever thanked you before, but I was lost. I was an honor student. I was an athlete. And I was on a different path, a bad path. But you helped me get back on track. And I graduated. Now I'm doing good things with my life. So, you know, just letting them know that it's more than just basketball. You know, there's things out there you're going to encounter that, you know, you just you sometimes have to be in place of that parent sometime, you know, because they don't have anyone to talk to. But, you know, there's proper ways and channels to do it, but you end up in that position. So, it's Powerful stuff, too. I, I appreciate you guys' perspective. Let's, let's get into a little bit about your, uh, your childhood. Where did you grow up? Um, what influences did you have in your life that kind of sent you down this path of education and coaching? You first again? <laughs> um, so... Wow. Uh, again, I, everything always ties back to military kid life because it's like you, you move every other three or four years. Um, and so a lot of that and my, my dad and my mom have 
helped define who I am. Um, grew up, first place we moved to overseas in Germany. And so I grew up there and, and learned a little bit of German, which don't ask me now because I only know a couple things. Um, but uh, enjoyed it over there. Moved back to Kansas, then went to Southern California, Northern California, and then here to Texas. And I say all that because growing up, I'm an only child. And so um, I did kind of everything because my parents were like, you're not going to sit in the house, go outside, go ride bikes, do something. And so um, I was at, like, I was a tomboy, um, always playing with, you know, outside. Um, I didn't come into basketball until my, I'd, I'd really say like seriously my eighth grade year um, because anything that my dad did, I, I bumped heads with him. And so he was just like, hey, let's go play basketball. I want to show you how to do this. And I'm like, oh. so I remember he trying, you know, teach me how to shoot my free throw. And we just bumped heads a lot when I was little, I think, because it was just I was his only girl and very protective military man. Later um, in college and like now he's just everything him and my mom I mean it's just the three of us but um uh started playing basketball in the eighth grade and I I honestly wanted I, I still love the idea of it but being a photographer um but I was going to be a lawyer and uh, then I went to wanting to be an actress because when you're living in California I mean come on but um uh, my I I really started to focus in on being a marine biologist and just because I love the beach and all this other stuff. So um, it wasn't until my, like I said, my eighth grade year, everything started clicking and I fell in love with basketball. And then I liked teaching just anything. Um, I was that kid. So real, real true story, which maybe I'm kind of lame. I was that kid that found a, a stack of hall passes and most kids would probably like, you know, use them to, you know, skip or whatever. I was practicing writing like, like I was a teacher, like yeah. Miss Jamerson. That was my maiden name at the time. I mean, like I went through those whole um, writing passes, uh, imaginary passes as an eighth grader, mind you. Um, so I, I, I fell the love to teaching. Miss um, Peters, my sixth grade teacher, she claimed it. She's like, you're going to be a teacher. I'm like, no, I'm not. And um, so, yeah, uh, fell in love with teaching. Uh, went to high school, played basketball. Um, I was not the best. I'm not like Coach Norris, you know, who's just like, I'll start. You got to see some of his pictures. Um, <laughs> but uh, in high school, I really had to, to scrap to, to, to get onto varsity. Um, I was that, first I was a B team, and then I jumped to A team my freshman year. And then sophomore and junior year, JV, varsity year was my senior year. And then um, I came to college and I knew I wanted to coach basketball and I knew I wanted to teach history. Um, so I took that path in college, but I also knew I wanted to play college ball. And um, I spoke with the coach and the coach told me, I really don't see you being able to play collegiate ball. And so that was really what, what got me. And um, I was like, okay, I'll show you. Um, I just wanted to be a part of that team. And I think um, some folks are like, why didn't you play pro? I'm like, one, I'm not good enough. Um, and two, it's not so much about playing. I think for me, it was being a part of a team and having that common goal. And it, it was just, it's fun. It's like family, even though there was those times that were stressful, but, um, I, I feel God put me in this position for the girls that I have who aren't the superstars. Um, so my freshman year in college, I went to SFA and uh, in Nacogdoches, Texas. Um, freshman year, I tried it out. Um, I ran a 10 minute and 52 second mile. And I was running next to Tikanisha Henry. Um, <laughs> and I'm like, okay, I'm running with someone. She's already on the team. She's got a scholarship. I, I should be good, right? Wrong. Coach Chadwick, he's now at um, Texas A&M Corpus Christi. He was just like, why don't you come back when you're serious about this and um, when you're in shape? And he handed me a, a styrofoam cup. I still have that cup. I'm not a hoarder, I promise. But um, I wrote what he said on that, and I wrote the time. And um, after that day, I was just like, you know, okay, I'm going to – I enjoyed my freshman year in college. 
But I'm like, next year I'm, I'm going to make the team. Sophomore year comes. Try out. We're not taking walk-ons. So then junior year comes. Try out. Um, and that mile was what really was scaring me. And because we had post players had to run it in an 830. I'm like the smallest post player. I'm 5'11 and SFA is D1. I'm a smaller D1 at the time. But um, on August 28th, I swear it's God, um, I ran that mile in eight minutes and 28 seconds. I was, I cried. And uh, it was just like, well, come to individual practices and um, we'll see. So we're going through everything. And then October 13th, um, he's like, you'll be, a, you're a walk-on. I was so excited. That was like awesome. I didn't get nearly any playing time. I practiced. I was there always early, um, stayed late. Um, and I, I didn't know, but I was gaining the respect of my teammates because they're like, you're doing all this. You know, I'd get a little bit of like a little meal money or whatnot, um, some, some team gear. But I wasn't playing much. I might have played maybe a couple games, like the last like few minutes. Um, but then he left my senior year. And so Coach Leon Riley comes. And I was really uh, – I was nervous. I was like, well, I got to do all this over again. I got to prove this to somebody else. And she calls me into her office, and she's just like, well, Christina, I talked to your teammates, and um, they, they speak highly of you. And I was just like – and I'm waiting for the but. And she says that she's like, well, we're going we're gonna to keep you and we're going to offer you a scholarship. Straight, ugly cried in that woman's office. Like, just like I worked so hard and I know it was God and my family and my friends that kept on saying, you know, you, you, you're good, you're good. They thought I was crazy because they're like, why don't you just stop? But I had nothing to lose. So, and I feel that's, it feels great being in this position as being a, an assistant to a head coach. Because I have those girls who, again, aren't those superstars who might have to walk on. Um, and so I tell them to work hard so they don't have to be in that situation. But if they do, then this is what you're going to have to expect. So fast forward, first coaching job at Shoemaker High School for eight years. And then get my first coaching job, which was an experience. Thank you, Coach Norris, for putting me under your wing. Um, but that was, you learn a lot your first head coaching job. Then I came to Marshall as an assistant um, for a few years, and now I'm head coach here at Marshall. So, yeah. Sorry if I went too long. No, I, I'm all, I'm hyper. I'm going to go work out and I'll try to get <laughs> <laughs> all fired up. <laughs> coach Norris? Oh, man. Uh, coming from a family of eight, you know, growing up in Kansas City, uh, it was real competitive. Uh, my dad was – he played in the Negro Baseball League back in the day. was a really good baseball player. So my sport was going to be baseball. I mean, I was gung-ho baseball, uh, loved football. Basketball was just kind of, uh, you know, uh, playing in the backyard. You know, we played every sport, though. My dad put a goal up. We'd play, I'd play a little bit. But, you know, you put a baseball glove in my hand, and I was in heaven. So moved to Kerrville, Texas. So I'm a Tybee Antler. <laughs> Moved there when I was uh, probably 10 years old or so, 19 years old. So started playing junior high athletics. Um, wasn't really thinking about careers and stuff like that. Uh, though later in high school, I was thinking I wanted to be a psychiatrist. I was telling Christina that, yeah, uh, you know, always thought about being a psychiatrist, but that was kind of in the back of my mind. But uh, junior high, played football. Uh, you know, playing Little League baseball and all that stuff. But basketball season came around, seventh grade year, tried out, made the B team. It's like, okay, cool, I made a team. Didn't play much. You know, I had some really good basketball coaches in our middle school. A guy by the name of Stuart Calkins, who ended up, you know, being the head girls coach at Tyvee and really doing real well. He had went to state in basketball. There was a guy, Joe Price, his first uh, coaching job was at uh, – at uh, Peterson Middle School. He went on to, you know, go to state with Port Arthur Lincoln and become a good friend of mine coaching in the Houston area. So two good basketball minds to play under. We, the head coach at Tyvee was Dan Montgomery, who well-known, you know, when it, won a lot of games in high school coaching. Uh, I think he went on to St. Edwards University, was a head coach there. But 
seventh grade year wasn't a good experience in, in basketball. So I was like, I'm going to let it go. Didn't play my eighth grade year. Got to ninth grade year, played football. And I was still like, you know, baseball was my sport. Baseball, did a little pole vaulting and track, you know. But uh, uh, my friends talked me into trying out for basketball my freshman year. So I was like, man, I don't, I don't know. And they said, come on, just try out. You can just, you know, make, you can make the team. Because we play in the park in the neighborhood all the time. So tried out for the ninth grade team. And that's when they would rank you one through 15. Yeah. Maybe, you know, I think we had like 40 some people come out for basketball and I'd even check the board and like, Dave, you got to check the board. You made the team. I was like, oh, playing. So I went and looked, I was number 15, you know, and they ranked us. I was number 15. I was the happiest number 15. In fact, that started being my number from playing number 15. And, and I, you know, I was proud, you know, I talk to my players about that now, you know, I was just happy to be on the team and our, our coach, uh, Calkins at the time moved up to be the freshman coach and he and coach Price had this saying for those who didn't play we were just RWEs ride, <laughs> watch, and eat. <laughs> so, yeah, I would ride watch and eat you know but we had a good team so we would beat a lot of teams you know pretty bad and I'm like I'm looking at the score I knew when it got to 20 points it was time for me to get in there you know <laughs> so you know that was ninth grade I stopped playing and that's when I started getting into basketball the coaches there kind of made it fun. I started really, uh, you know, looking at how coaches operate, you know, just how they were, uh, just the, the strategy part of it and just being a coach, the prestige of being coach so-and-so. So, and then, you know, I had my dad. It was always kind of coaching me in baseball. But um, I, I decided not to play football when the next year. I wasn't the biggest guy. So I was like, you know, I'm going to stay with basketball, get more involved with that. And went through basketball offseason, uh, baseball, played baseball. Um, they didn't keep a lot. It was just a JV and varsity team. I was one of the few uh, freshmen they kept on the, the JV, JV baseball team. So I was like, okay, my, my goals for baseball are still there. So ended up my sophomore year just from playing in ninth grade, going through offseason, and then playing in the neighborhood. Uh, coming to Austin, playing with uh, my sister, had a boyfriend that went to Houston Tillerson. So we'd go over to UT and I'd play on the secondary court for a while. You know, and every now and then I got out on the main court there in Gregory Gym. So, you know, I started getting better and better. And then all of a sudden I started being able to jump and dunk a basketball when I was in 10th grade and being like 5'10", 5'11". You know, it was like there wasn't a three-point line. So the thing to do was dunk the basketball. So when, when I started doing that, that's when the game started becoming more exciting for me. Um, started playing, you know, the next year, junior year, played, started off on JV, but moved up to varsity. And varsity year, had a really good year playing basketball and baseball. And then it came time to make a decision. You know, I really, my senior year, I got a new coach, uh, Coach James Sharp, who a uh, really good, outstanding coach, polar opposite of Coach Montgomery. Coach Montgomery was real fiery, you know, would grab you by your jersey, get out there, you know. But <laughs> Coach Sharp was more strategy, cool and calm. And I think that's kind of the path that I took with coaching. And he just kind of stuck with me, him, and, you know, uh, got Coach Damasco, uh, Coach uh, Calkins, and Coach Price. You know, all of them had a big influence on me wanting to be a coach. Coach Pfeiffer from the, from the neighborhood, he's a guy, local guy from Kerrville. He was a middle school coach coming up. And so, you know, just kind of fell behind those guys and, and decided that when I graduated from high school, didn't have very many offers in basketball. I had a couple in baseball, but I went in and tried out for uh, the team at Shriner Junior, their junior college there. Tried out and just, just in warm up, I put on like a little dunk show. So I was able to get a scholarship. But <laughs> playing that first year of college, I found out how you know, how much skill development I needed. I was so far behind, but I could play defense. I could jump, you know, so that kept me on the court. And from there I went on, uh, I had knee surgery my last, after my last game at JUCO, walked on to Texas State, didn't work out, hurt my knee again right off the bat. So I set out for a year and a half. And then I went back to, I was back home in Kerrville, went out to Shriner, they were like, hey, Will you mind practicing with us? Practice with them. Like, well, look like your leg's back in shape. 
do you want to play this last semester? I was like, yeah, I'll go ahead and play. So I played that, played the next year, but I really was focused on being a coach at that point. Mm -hmm. Decided, you know what, I want to be a basketball coach. Baseball kind of just kind of let slip. Although at Texas State, they had a baseball club. They weren't a full, you know, team yet. So they had a club team. I played a little bit of baseball club team. Um, And then I got into coaching. My first job was at West Columbia Junior High in West Columbia, Texas. Didn't know anybody there. Me and my wife just said, you know what, let's just go. So started as a junior high coach. The next year I was moved up as the JV coach. And then um, after two, two or three years, I became a head coach there. And real fortunate, working under a guy, Calvin Phillips, uh, decided to be administrator. Even though we had a good team coming back, we had a 6'10 kid, 6'6", really good point guard. He went on an administration, kind of handed me the job. So that kind of catapulted me. I uh, had a lot of college scouts coming into the program, you know, checking out the 16 kid. So I got offered to, to work a lot of camps, spent a lot of time at the Rice camp, working with some outstanding coaches. Uh, Willis Wilson was a head coach. He's now at AM Corpus, but got to be more than just coach camp relationship. Got to be friends with those guys, Todd Smith, Marty, uh, his guys at SMU, Jimmy Tubbs, uh, Coach Casper, Danny Casper was at Baylor. He'd come through recruiting. So I got to know these guys and really, you know, that's kind of how my coaching career started and spiraled in to I became a college coach at the NAIA Division Three level. Really enjoyed that, but the money just wasn't there. Came back to high school coaching, then an administrator. So got out of administration, came back to coaching. So uh, it's where I'm at now. <laughs> Been around a little bit. Tell me, tell me some of the you – know, usually I guess the most uh, natural thing to do is ask the differences, but what are some of the similarities in coaching college ball and coaching boys basketball in high school and girls basketball in high school? What are some of the things that you find that are all the same? Um, they're kids. I mean, they're kids, and, and you, they want to learn. They, you know, they want – you know, college kids think they know a little bit more, and, yeah, you have to treat them, you know, more like an adult. But at the same time, it's teaching basketball. And I love teaching basketball. Um, if you can uh, motivate them, they mo- you know, they're motivated in different ways. But at the same time, it's, it's still winning. It's still trying to, you know, be the best that you can be. So it's just trying to keep that same style that I've kept, just motivating strategy. I've always been a big strategist and, you know, running sets and just, you know, being detail-oriented, just – you know, I required my – once I got out of college coaching, I, I coached under – I was assistant coach at Mary Hardin Baylor University under uh, uh, Richard Herps for the men's side. And then I coached uh, – I was assistant for the women's also. I did both. So I had both perspectives. Both teams went to the national championship, national tournament, NAIA. Uh, went to both tournaments. I flew to one, flew to the other. The women got runner-up. Jeff Van Auken was the women's coach. And that's when I learned how to coach detail. Richard Herbst, those guys were very detail-oriented, you know, and that elevated me as a coach, just learning that one year of being an assistant there. And I went to Shriner as the head men's coach there. And teaching details, now that I went back to high school and started coaching, I was able to be more detail-oriented and it helped, you know, starting out as a head coach. I look back on that, I was like, man, I didn't know anything. I, you know, I was just happy to be a head coach. My, my first year, we made the playoffs. We were district champ, made the playoffs, and I got my tail handed to me that first game because I just wasn't prepared. I was just like going, oh, I got a 16 kid. I got this and that, and bingo, we got blasted. And so I promised myself that I would never, you know, be that out coach. And it wasn't just the players were better. I just – I got out coached, and they were ready for everything I did, more detailed. So – that's when I started wanting to learn more and sitting in camps, taking notes, you know, we do the chalk talk with all the coaches and, you know, veterans coaches. And, you know, I look back, I've lost to some really good coaches, you know, and I've, I've beat those same coaches though. So you, you learn from that, you know, Mike Wacker, I played high school ball against him and end up, you know, coaching against him, you know, win a few, lost a few, you know, so uh, Ray Carroll, I remember playing high school ball against him. In fact, Ray, uh, we hold the whole, the longest game in Texas history. We went 10 overtimes. And uh, I won it on free throw. Wow. So every time I see Ray Carroll, it's like, hey, <laughs> remember that game at Tyvee? And he goes, yeah, I still remember it. 
You told you told me about that when we were in San Diego, and and I've yeah. seen Ray a hundred thousand times since then, and I I keep forgetting to ask him about it. Uh, well, I was going to ask you y'all's favorite basketball memories, but let's just jump into that real quick. Talk talk to us a little bit about that ten overtime game. Oh wow! It you know it was a district game. You know we we're playing battling in district. Uh, we we're at our place, and we we got to the end of the game, and uh, it's you know it's tied up, and so. Both coaches had a strategy of whoever gets the tip, we're going to hold for the last shot. So there was no, you know, no rule to initiate the play. So the other team would just stand back while we hold the ball. And it was three-minute overtimes back then, I think three or four minutes. But anyway, the clock gets down, and all of a sudden you try to make a play and try to score. Uh, I think three out of the ten overtimes we scored, but then the other team tied it right back, you know. So – uh, the third overtime, we were down th- – it was three seconds left. We were down two points. And I remember we had to take the ball the length of the court. Coach uh, drew up a play. My friend James Ayler inbounded the ball, and we kind of made eye contact. So I was at half court, took a few steps up, ran, sprinted, and he overthrew the ball. And I had to save it from going out of bounds in the corner, tight rope without going, and I caught it and just launched it and tied it up we didn't have a three-point line back then we would have won it <laughs> so that's in into the fourth game I remember my dad saying he had already left the game mad thinking that we lost the game and they went grab something and came back line saw the lights still on there and they went back in we're in like the eighth and ninth overtime right now but I played the whole game you know I'm looking at coach catching cramps and every time I try to signal to him he would look the other way <laughs> it's like you're not coming out of this game so Played the whole game, and finally, the 10th overtime, Coach Sharp was like, Davis, go go win the game. So we got the tip, and I just took off for the basket. Caught them by surprise because they thought we were going to hold it. I just took off toward the basket, and uh, Ray may even foul me. <laughs> Somebody fouled me. So I made the two free throws, came back, made a steal on the end, drove, fouled again. So I made, I made six free throws to win the game on that 10 overtime. But it's second to the national record. And it's still a, the longest game in Texas history. So that's awesome. that's my you know personal game right there. Well, that's that's insane. What, what what time did the game finish? Oh man, it was <laughs> I think after eleven o'clock or so, something like that. It was it was pretty late. I don't know, but I I remember getting I still have articles to this day where people it went out on the AP wire. So I got an article from the New York Times that it was in the New York wow. Times. Uh, guy sent me newspaper from Minnesota lost my uncle uh called me up on the phone that morning it's like did you play in a basketball game yesterday i just heard your name on the, on the radio. <laughs> <laughs> so it was, you know so it went out on the ap <clears throat> it's something i still tell my i have show i have to show my players the article they don't believe me so i show them, <laughs> oh wow you did so it was, it was a pretty neat game not only did you play in it you won the game in, in the yeah, overtime. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so i made sure to tell that part <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um uh, Coach, uh, what, uh, Christina, tell me about your favorite basketball memories that come to mind. Wow. <clears throat> um, first, like playing or – It could be coaching, coaching or playing or wh- whatever. Wow. You know, I'll go back. I'll, I'll tell a personal one. Um, and, again, this is like I was not the all-star in, in high school. I, I, I don't think I've ever been that free throw person to win the game. Um, but with you, uh, Norris, when you mentioned the, the newspaper article, so I've got, it's like the newspaper article is this big. And um, we, and it's crazy because we played Dripping Springs. I was a junior and we were at a tournament in Dripping Springs. And um, like, I'll never forget, this will always be in my mind. And I, I didn't feel any hurt by it or anything, but Coach Jackson, now Coach Hollywood, we were playing in this tournament and we won and I was doing something on the court. And I always remember Christina Jamerson, you're running slower than cold molasses. And I was just like, okay, okay. So I picked it up and I don't know why that has always stuck with me because I, I don't say it to my girls. Uh, but sometimes it crosses my mind. Um, but I'll never forget how I felt when we won that game. I've never won a trophy, anything. Um, and my junior year, we're in the locker room and we get these little medals that that big and she puts it on me. And again, I'm not a crier, but when it's moments like that, I was just like, 
wow, like I have this medal. And so I, I have it in a shadow box actually right now um, with that little newspaper article. So that's like a personal high school memory. Coaching, um, I think for my, my one, of, one of the many memories was coaching my first basketball game as a head coach for the second time around. Um, my first head coaching game, you know, at San Marcos, we played at Canyon High School. And um, I was so nervous. And, you know, that those first four years of being a head coach were such a learning point, a, a, just a learning all the time. And when you take a step back and you're an assistant and you're looking at how things are going, and then when you get back into the, the head coach's seat, again, that first game that we played, the first district game we played, it was just – it was awesome. You know, we, 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 we didn't win. And at the same time, it's just, okay, now I know what I'm doing. Now I'm not just coaching because, hey, on this offense because I, I like it. I want to press because I like it. No, like I'm learning now. And I give, you know, a lot of uh, credit to you, Coach Norris, because, like, he would sit me down when we were at San Marcos and we'd have our chalk talk moments. And he's like, Christina, you, you probably, he's like, maybe think about doing it this way. And I know I was probably stubborn. I'm like, no, I want to run this mile or I want to do this, that, and the other. And he's like, just try it. So I try it and I'm like, wow, he, he was right. <laughs> so I think that was, that's a good mo uh, memory. You know, being in Northside is a tough district as well when I was the same as at San Marcos. But just coaching that first game, the second time around and like just, being in a different mindset, a different space, that was, that's a, a great moment. So, yeah. Christina, talk a little bit about how important it is to have a, a mentor like Coach Norris. And you can elaborate on that, too. I'm sure you've had mentors, Coach Norris, uh, along the way. But how important is it for a coach to have someone to lean on and balance ideas off of and, and take that constructive criticism as well? I think it's, it's just it's a necessity. Like, you have to – if you want to be a better coach, a better person, you need to find a mentor. And it doesn't have to be, you know, like just for coaching. It could be for anything. But for coaching, I have like a, a nice little circle of people who when I get in a bind or even when I'm not in a bind, when I just want to like talk, chalk talk or just bounce things off them, it's great having that, that, um, that outlet. And you learn so much. I just like you're a sponge. And, you know, I, I talked to Norris, you know, just about anything. Hey, I'm, I'm having cuts. What do you think? Or and, and I have I have my assistants and I love my assistants. They're awesome. And I just like reaching out, though, to um, the more seasoned. <laughs> um, <laughs> okay. so say it, the older coaches. <laughs> But no, seriously, it's just like he's been there. He's done that. And, you know, and he's worked with young men and young women. And so he he's seen that. And um, I just think it's you have if you want to grow as a coach, find you someone who you can, you know, grow from, learn from, um, maybe have those vent sessions from um, because it, it is lonely at the top. Like I, I finally figured that out sometimes. But it's just like when you have that family that you can go to um and be open like don't be don't be stubborn or hard-headed just just stop and listen to what they have to say um, because they've been there and they've done that so yeah yeah I agree you, you know you got to have those people that you can call on and depend on or you know just run the bounce things off of them um you know when I first started coaching and started working like different basketball camps the main one that I worked was the Rice basketball camp. And there was just about all the top coaches in the Houston area worked the Rice camp. So as a young coach, I would just sit back and watch and listen, you know, and uh, absorb everything, you know, study their styles. We'll get in the locker room or somewhere, you know, we have our little late night sessions where all the coaches get together and they would do the X's and O's. And, you know, I didn't have a lot to say. I would just sit back and just absorb it in and, you know, then I would pull this coach aside later and say, hey, coach, show me what you do on this offense or what were you talking about on this defense? So I had those people that I started getting closer to. And, you know, like Johnny Carter, 
that's now, you know, one of the administrators in TABC, uh, just being around him and some of the other guys, uh, top coaches in that area, a lot of the college coaches coming through there. Uh, then I had the privilege of training Kenny Smith, Kenny the Jet Smith, <laughs> uh, when he was with the Houston Rockets. I just happened to be at a camp or asked to work his camp. And they said, hey, come on over. So just from working at camp, ended up, you know, striking a relationship with him and then putting on the camp and then having a lot of the pro players come in. And then I saw the different perspective. I was playing in the little pro-am leagues back then. I still had a few hops in me. And uh, so just being around both worlds of the NBA and the college, you know, getting to talk, you know, sit in on some of the coaches' meetings and uh, and still do that. I'm, I'm a, a junkie about clinics or just calling up somebody and, you know, or putting together an offense, you know. I'm going to be speaking on the 21st of this month in the Texas High School Coaches Association. It's the 21st at 1 p.m. Let me throw a plug in for myself. And I'm going to talk <laughs> – I'm going to talk about uh, the, the modern overload offense and his offense that I ran when I was in high school, uh, did it when I was first coaching. It's just the overloaded, overload offense, but I was able to add a little flair. I let Christina see it a little bit, and, you know, I've added a little flair to it. I've added some different sets that we finish in the overload set. So I'm excited about just, you know, sharing that. And uh, I know my days of coaching, you know, in high school or whatever, are coming to an end soon, uh, but I still want to be connected. I still want to be able to say, hey, if somebody calls me up, hey, give me an offense for this, or what did you do with this? I want to be there. You know, I want. now I'm taking that mentor role. And, you know, I told Christina I'll pop in on her, uh, her, her practices, you know, when I retire and all that. And uh, I still want to continue. I started select. I helped start a select program in Dripping Springs when I got there. They didn't have a program. Not too many girls were playing. So I started uh, two summers ago, and we had now we have like over 50 kids playing from sixth grade on up. So I still want to be active in that part. So if I do decide down the road to, to give it up, you know, I, I know I'm still going to be active in it. And I want to be that mentor like I had, you know, for, for myself, for a lot of people, you know. And it's not always about being the loudest in the room, but just taking notes of, of things. And, you know, I, I tell young coaches all the time, my way is not always the best way. But what I did as a young coach, I picked a little bit of this from this coach, a little bit from this coach. And, I, you know, I think we all learned that. We put it together and said, okay, this is my style. And it may not work. You have to scrap it. Let me call up Marcus down here and say, hey, where do you, you know, so you just get that network going of, of trial and error and kind of go from there. You know, if I could piggyback off of that, um, women coaches, male coaches, like, get in each other's gym because that was something that I really appreciated when I was at San Marcos. Like it, I could just go up into David's practice and just sit there. And I mean, it was, it's fun, especially you just I'd get you involved to help. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <You're right. laughs> it, I just, you know, like at wherever, whatever high school that you're at, and I know this is something that I strive to, to do ever since, especially being at San Marcos, um is you know we sh we we're both basketball coaches we're both in this together it's like a family you know i can go to his practice he can come to mine we can you know work out things and, and do things together um because we're just we're coaching athletes yes one's male one's female and we're just we're coaching athletes and it's the game of basketball so i really got a lot out of that that's helpful i mean uh when i first got hired at mccullum one of my assistants uh, after a year or two, became the girls' head coach, and uh, and so we, I mean we were constantly. He still sat in it right next to me in the office, so we constantly bounce ideas. Hey, hey, come watch our athletic period. Uh, tell me what you think, and, and vice versa, and shoot me some ideas. You know, it's I mean we're we're all resources for each other. Mm -hmm. That's what it's about. Yeah. Talk a little bit about some. Uh, I know David, you kind of brought it up earlier about that letter you got from a former student, but talk a little bit about some impactful moments in your career that. Uh, helped you, I guess, realize that this is obviously more than a game? Well, you know, it's, it's that getting those letters, getting those phone calls. Now that, you know, when I first started, no one heard of social media. <laughs> so <laughs> you, know, you, you get those random letters from people, you know, that, that you just kind of forget about because you got hundreds of kids coming and all of a sudden you get that one letter or that one kid walks, in, walks up to you in the mall or somewhere and say, hey, coach, 
remember me? And you're kind of like, uh, yeah, but then they go on and start telling you how you impacted their life. And then it's like, you know what? You start realizing it's more about, you know, it's, it's not just about basketball and athletics that, you know, you're helping set foundations for these young people. Uh, the young lady that had sent the, the, the letter to me through social media, she was like, you know, I was in a bad way. And I, and I remember those days sitting there in my office saying, you will not graduate if you continue this path. Mm-hmm. And I stopped being administrator and start being like, look, what do you want to do in life? You got, you're an honor student. You're a good athlete. You could go play college basketball if you wanted to. But what is it that you, what are you striving for? What's out there that's pulling you away from this? Because I know these weren't your goals the past couple of years you've been in high school. And she just broke down and started telling me the truth about everything she was doing. And I was like, you know what? I'm not here to judge you, but here's your options. This, this, this is how this thing could end. And, and this is where you're at right now. And we've all been at those crossroads, you know. I've been been there too, where you got to make decisions with your friends and I know exactly what they're about to do, you know, and, and sometimes you kind of like, okay, I got away with this, but you know, is this, is this me? Is this what I want to be about? You know, so, you know, kind of focus with that and she was able to kind of turn her life around, but, you know, just getting those letters, just hearing from people, uh, seeing some of my former students become coaches. That's the biggest thrill and, and tell you, you know, you're the reason why I wanted to coach. And, and that's the biggest thing that I've gotten out of, you know, is just seeing those, those uh, young men, young women go on and be a coach or go on to do something with their lives and then give you that credit for it. It might just be a, a little small amount of credit, you know, things like that where you're not always just coach. You got to make decisions sometime for these kids that they don't even know of that you're making those decisions. But you hope that they down the line, it kicks in that somebody helped me. The day he graduated, his dad was so appreciative because his dad knew and uh, hugged me and said, thank you. You know, this is the greatest gift you could have done for me and my son. And he doesn't even know it. So, you know, just trying to teach that extra, extra mile of just I'm not just a coach. You know, I've had kids come to me and tell me, coach, I got this problem. I got that problem. You know, we've all fed kids. You know, I've watched kids close in the in the in the laundry room because they didn't have a place to to wash clothes or to stay and all that you know just and you know just the way we're brought up you know just helping people out and you know you've helped you know i i go through now and have people come up to me and say coach norris and you're like okay coach norris or if they say mr norris then i know is when i was an assistant principal <laughs> so i was like okay <laughs> i can kind of figure it out but anyway just you know trying to be an impact in somebody's life and you get it you get it back i mean you you start getting it back when you get my age. <laughs> I'm the same way too. Like, especially now that I'm at the age um, that my, my athletes that I first started coaching and teaching are actually coaches now. Um, and they have families now. And I, I, I think that's awesome to see that full circle. Um, and a, a couple of those moments, like I've gotten letters and little notes um, especially from the ones that uh, I'd say, I don't want to say bumped heads with, but they didn't understand why I was making the decisions that I was making. Um, I had a young lady um, that she would always say, coach, why aren't you going to cut her? You know, uh, this girl, she's, you know, she's always, you know, doing bad things. And I told her, I was just like, Hey, you know, not everyone has the same um, opportunities as, as she did. Um, her, her home, her upbringing, um, she had lost her father. Uh, she just, she was living with grandma and it, it just wasn't the best situation. So not that I took it easy on her. However, I, I worked with her. Um, and this other athlete, she just didn't understand. Um, and it wasn't until this past year, which is her first year of coaching um, in, uh, in high school, she came back and she's like, I get it. Um, even though she's teaching and, and coaching uh, girls who are um, better off than this one young lady, <clears throat> she, uh, she, she says she gets it. She understands what, you know, what coaches go through from the parents, from dealing with cuts and tryouts and stuff like that. Um, another really good moment that I, something, one of the kids uh, who just now graduated this year, um, and she's like, coach, I want to be a coach like you. And I'm like, are you sure? <laughs> and uh, she's like, no. She's like, I, I didn't want to 
be a coach. I didn't even know what I wanted to do. And she's like, I just want to be like you. And that, that, that kind of set me back. Cause I'm like, someone must be like me. And, um, and she's, she's like, I want to be able to reach kids like you reach me. And so that it's, it, it's like a huge responsibility. And I, I'm glad that I'm able to, to step up to it and help young ladies, especially ladies, um, that, you know, I, I want them to know that they can do anything and be anything that they want to be, uh, especially t- uh, today. So, but those are my memories, the good things. Beautiful stuff, powerful stuff. Before we, uh, you know, get towards the end and call this one a day, let me ask you a, a random, I guess, NBA question. Um, over the last, uh, let's say, 30 or 40 years, let's go 40, 40 years, um, the top most top four most influential players of that time frame. I saw this on Twitter the other day. So I didn't make this up. I just saw it online. Influential. <laughs> Don't have to be the best player, uh, the most influential last 40 years. Top four. Can I throw in some WNBA players? You can throw in whoever just you saying, want. Yeah, whoever you want. Saying. I guess so we'll just do um, worldwide. Influential on the game of basketball. <laughs> so for me, um, and not just because um, – I met them, and when I was at SFA, we actually played them. Um, hands down, um, Don Staley and Lisa Leslie. For the, those are the two main ones. I'll give you two, and then Coach Norris can give two. But um, they, they've like, they've helped pave the way for myself, especially you know Don Staley for coaching. Um, I just those two hands down in my book. Great choices. Um, wow. For me, I guess influential for me or you, or the game of basketball? Uh, the game of basketball as a whole. Okay. Oh, um, <laughs> oh that's good. That's, that's good stuff. Uh, Dr. J, Julius Irvin. I mean, he revolutionized the game and, and turned it into more than just a walk it up the floor, you know, type game. He, you know, brought his freelance style from the ABA to the NBA. And that was my first person that I looked up to uh just watching his style that's who I wanted to be like you know I worked forever to palm a basketball you know all that stuff squeeze a tennis ball <laughs> where I could just hold the ball and do all kind of stuff with it but Dr. J uh, Kareem Abdul-Jabbar you know he was another one from that area uh that just really was a great influence on the game you know the sky hook and if you were center you're trying to do the sky hook and if you're a guard or something you're trying to you know, cradle the ball and rock it, you know, to dunk it like Dr. J. Uh, <laughs> dunking back in, you know, into the game. Uh, moving forward, probably uh, Michael Jordan, you know, uh, had the chance to play in a pickup. It was a, a celebrity uh, basketball game, you know, a black history tournament game. Uh, and just that's when he was retired and he came back later right after that. But you know, just kind of seeing him uh, and probably in the top four would be uh, Olajuwon, uh, Kareem, uh, um, Akeem, the dream. And, you know, running the, the Kenny Smith camp, he would come over and play. We'd have a big pickup game at the end. So you'd have Robert Ory, uh, Lee Shaw, you know, all those guys. Um, you know, uh, who's the other guard that played with Kenny and Vern, Vernon Maxwell? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And other NBA players from around would come and play. And I got really got a chance to see Olajuwon and his footwork and just seeing a big guy, you know. And he would – and it's funny, and pick up – he didn't want to play in the post. He wanted to play out in the guard. And he yeah. could handle the ball. He'd, he'd make you dizzy and all that. So, And then just watching him on film and watching what he, you know, did, it's just – those guys like that, you know, I'm the new version, yeah, LeBron and all those guys, but I think who really set the game moving forward yeah. were guys like Dr. J, Kareem, you know, Elijah Wan, Michael Jordan, you know, and, and you know, those those would be in for it. I'd have a ton of more like David Thompson back when I – you probably don't even know David Thompson is, but he's a guy that I kind of mirrored my game because he could jump real well. He was one of the, the outstanding dunkers and all-stars and, back in the day and Michael Jordan. So that's who I kind of feel like took the game to a new level that these young guys are taking it forward now. Absolutely. And the game's evolving a little bit. Um, I guess if you had to pick one, I'll give you two. Two, uh, I guess, of the current generation that is 
paving the way uh, moving forward? Um, KD, uh, Kevin Durant, and LeBron. So, you know, there's a lot that are right up there with them as far as, you know, a lot of young guys that are coming in now that are just off the chain. But uh, those two, I think, are moving into another level. Steph is right up there, you know. As far as position-wise, guard-wise, Steph has to be, you know, up there as well. So I was going to say LeBron and Steph. But I guess it's it's neat seeing how, like, where we are, like, in our in our age and whatnot and what we've seen. Like, I've, ever since 1991, I had been, like, the hugest, still am, um, the king, the dream, you know, Elijah Wan. Like, I loved – I wanted to know how he could move like that. And I yeah. found out is because he played soccer. And I thought that was so cool. I was not going to play soccer. But um, just seeing them and watching them – and a, a lot of it, I would get from watching like my dad, even though I didn't want to admit it because again, we bumped heads when I was a kid, but, um, but, but yeah, watching the, 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 the older guys playing, it's, they set the, the, the tone, I believe, but yeah, LeBron for sure. No, I mean, and there's no wrong answers, right? I mean, there's, there's a ton of guys yeah. and women that have, that have really changed the game and, and, um, I'm curious to see how that that one young uh, lady I, I forgot her name the one that was at the Kobe Bryant Memorial. Uh, so uh, Summer. She is a hooper. Uh, yeah, yeah. She is a hooper, and, and and you know she's destined to change and evolve the game and oh, and, yeah, and inspire yeah. a bunch of young players uh, along the way. Yeah, so I'm I'm excited yeah. for for the future of the game, obviously. Um, but anyway, we kind of got off. I just I just <laughs> no. I didn't want to know what you guys thought. I, uh, I appreciate y'all taking some time out to talk. I don't want to keep you all day. Um, so thank you for hanging out, talking life and hoops and, and everything else in between. Thank you for having me. I appreciate it. Yes, sir. yes thank you for this. Anytime. Y'all need something. Y'all take Let care. You too.